0: Well, we started last week um, a new series, a new series on well kind of questions about Christian leadership. And, and because we're talking about, as we go through this church revitalization, well leadership and the leadership that this church is going to have but the passage that we've chosen is a book called first timothy and it's a letter from the apostle paul to a younger christian pastor leader named timothy in the city of ephesus and they were going through a lot of conflict they were going through some decisions they'd experienced great revival but then they had great challenges well in this book it gives us some insights about how we are supposed to live together because if you've been around the whole church thing for a while you realize that living together can be a little bit challenging. <clears throat> I always warn my seniors in high school uh, that I know um, as they're preparing to go off to college, especially if they're going off to college uh, to um, the same school as their like, best buddy from high school. They always have it planned out. Oh, yeah, and we're going to live together, and our room is going to look like this, and it's going to be awesome. Don't ever lo- live with your f- best friend from high school. Best friends are great when they're best friends. When you're hanging out regularly, they're great. But often when they're roommates, sharing the same space can often go very, very badly. It happens in marriage too. Um, There's adjustment time. It's not that marriage isn't good, but it's just adjustment to living in the same home and same household. Um, Okay, Christians, we have the same problem. When we get together, when we live together in the same space, when we worship the Lord together, when we serve to function as a body of believers, a group of Christians working together, we can often have conflict. If you've been around church a while, you know that there are issues we have conflict about. A man named Tom Rainer did a survey and just kind of threw out on a blog he was doing, hey, what are some stories of some church conflict you've seen? And here were some that popped up for Tom Rainer, his top 25 silliest things that the church uh, uh, had conflict about. I'm going to share with you three that I thought were funny. There was a fight at one particular church over whether or not to build a playground or a cemetery. (laughs) They were having conflict about it. Well, one creative church in London said... Why not both? We can get along. We'll just, I don't know. That seems a little creepy to me. But they built this, they had the cemetery and the playground together. I, I don't know. But they were having conflict over that. Another church really got into a pretty heated argument about whether at the church dinners they could have deviled eggs. One potential solution was to balance out with like like angel food cake, and if you have angel and devil cake, Tom Rainer says maybe then it works out in God's sight. Maybe then it's okay. Okay, and uh, once again, it always seems to be about the food. But um, a disagreement came up about could you call it a potluck dinner? instead of a pot blessing? Because pot luck, wouldn't that imply gambling? And gambling's got to be wrong. And we don't, because you don't know what you're going to get. Do we really want to go with luck? Let's have a pot blessing dinner. And they had big disagreements about this. Okay, these seem incredibly silly. But there are some things... The churches divide over. That's why we have different denominations, some different doctrinal ideas. And certainly there's other things that conflict can come over. And I'm going to share with you a passage of Scripture that is honestly quite controversial. And I'm going to make some of the most uncontroversial statements about it And yet there's controversy. So let's take a look. First of all, in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, Paul tells us why he's writing this passage to the church. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, he says, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, and I don't get back to Ephesus very quickly, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Okay, so Paul's saying... Timothy, I've left you in charge. You're a young leader. Hey, I've given you some instructions. These are. This is sort of the way you ought to do. This is the way things ought to be. They may not be at every point, but here's some things that I want to give you as instructions. So he's been actually doing that since chapter 2, and even in chapter 1, he had been giving instructions. So let's back up. We're going to study and go through part of chapter 2 today where Paul gives some very specific instructions. Let's read the entirety of the text for today. Is First Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, This Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I urge then that first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for those in authority, that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. It pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is how it has this is the wit, now been witnessed to at the proper time. Verse seven, And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. And the true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles or to the nations. Then he goes on. Therefore, some good instructions here, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress with modesty, decency, with propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Did you see all the controversial issues? It seems pretty benign, doesn't it? I want prayers. Pray for everybody. Pray for the leaders. Pray. That seems pretty... Because God wants people to be saved. He wants them to come to know Jesus because he's the mediator between God and man, and he's the only one. Seems pretty uncontroversial to me. Oh, and, and by the way, um, men, when you pray, pray with holy hands. Don't argue and stuff. And women, you know, have appropriate dress with, with good deeds and that kind can, can, can this be controversial at all? Seems pretty straightforward. Seems very clear. Well, I'm going to give you three what I think are very uncontroversial statements. But in them, I'm going to show you where the controversy lies and where we as God's people have to determine to live in unity and to live together. So let's take a look. First, from this passage, I really think one of the main themes here and what, one of the main instructions is that Christians should pray for all people especially the leaders. Christians should pray for all people, especially our leaders. Look at how it says again in verse one. I urge that first of all, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for, do you see it? All people, especially for kings, for those in authority that we might lead lead peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness, in all holiness. Brothers and sisters, here's the controversy Here's what's it difficult right here, right now, in our American society. This is causing some tension in the church. And actually I don't think this verse is. I think we're the ones causing the tension. Because here's a truth. I'm, I'm, I'm straight up from the scripture, you can you can do all the Greek work in the original language. You can look, but this is a truth. All means all. Just to be clear, all means all. When he says, I want you to pray and have thanksgivings and petitions and prayers of interceptions for all people, he means all people. He doesn't mean just the people you like. He doesn't mean just the people you care about. He doesn't mean just your family and close relationships. He doesn't mean only your political party or only your country or only all people means all. Jesus goes so far to say this in Luke chapter 6. Look what he says. But you who are listening. I hope that's you. You who are listening. Listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray. There it is. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, he does not mean bless out (laughs) those who curse you. He doesn't mean like, you know, say mean things to them. He he doesn't mean pray like, "Ah, Lord, in humble and humility, I want to pray for those guys. Just wipe them out. (laughs) Lord, Or just move them to the moon. Or Lord, just, you know, he's not saying to pray against these people. He's saying pray for them for them making intercession it says praying with thanksgiving it says making petitions and requests for God, to God Now, brothers and sisters, we live through a pretty tumultuous, uh, well, and it just hasn't really all stopped all that much, uh, political cycle last time. You all don't want to remember it, neither do I. Um, And we know that one is coming up, and it's in the news regularly. And we have plenty of radio programs and TV programs and cable news groups. And they all want to speak and tell us what to think and what to believe. And they all seem to be taking their sides and saying the other people are pretty much the devil. Devil incarnate right they're all saying that if... brothers and sisters what the apostle paul said is that we as believers pray for all people and all means all it means that instead of praying against the other group maybe we pray for that God would bring change of heart. That God would bring change in nations. That God would bring in to global conflicts. That God would work and change the minds and hearts of people that you might start thinking, or at least you're being told to consider enemies. For us, the Apostle Paul is clear. When we look back and say, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And just like all means all, no one's means no one. We don't see them as, well, you're part of this camp or this camp. You're with me or you're against me. We're not. We are to pray for all people because all people are those whom God has loved, those who can be redeemed, those who God cares for. And we also, as lights in the world, need to be believers who show the world that we pray and love all people. I read an interesting book. Um, about a year or so ago, but it was about some of these things it just talked about pastors and it said, hey, look, uh, this one pastor was confessing. He says, look, uh, church members are mad at me because I'm not taking sides like they think I should, that I'm not speaking out uh, for one party or for another party. um, And I've got people on both sides that are all angry at me. I'm like, why are you angry at me? (laughs) But isn't anger, James says, one of those things that reveals (laughs) that we're not living out the life that God has called us to? Brothers and sisters, we're about to have another big political cycle. It's already started. It's already ramping up. You already know it's there. What if, just imagine with me, what if... Valley Baptist Church, and I don't mean just what happens in this place, but I mean Valley Baptist Church. The people were living a way that they were known for praying, that we were praying for all people, that our hearts were about all people, that we were constantly not letting a word go past our mouth that was not in prayer, uh, a prayerful sort of expectation that God would do good in the lives of all people. We're so tempted, and I'll be honest, I, 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 I get a little frustrated because I want the economy to go a certain way, because I want my 401k plan to go a certain way, because I want my, you know, so it affects my prayers, I, it affects what I, mine's a 403b, I know, I know, okay, but I, I want my prayers to go, I, I, my prayers go a certain way because I want what I want. Maybe prayer is about something different. Maybe it's about getting my heart in line with what God wants. Maybe it's not about having my way politically. Maybe my prayers as I'm praying for kings and for all of those in authority should be about something else. Maybe it should be about, what does he say in verse 2? That we might live peaceful and quiet lives. Wait, peaceful and quiet life. He's saying that the gospel is supposed to be going forward. The gospel in godliness and holiness, that when God, when there is peace, it is sometimes easier for us to make known the good news of Jesus than when persecution is happening. Now it is true that often in persecution, the gospel is clear. Is sometimes in persecution, the gospel goes forth uh, in a powerful way as well. God's is, gospel is never chained, but we are called to this peaceful, quiet lives. One that is not full of fighting, not one that is not full of bitterness because we represent a different kingdom. This is not our home. This is not our world. In one of the early days that I was here, we had started a summer Bible study. Um, That very first summer and COVID restrictions were just kind of pulling back and people were being careful. And some people had come who who had been part of Valley maybe in the past, but weren't really part of this church anymore. And they would kind of floated in. And, and, And one lady who just was just, Boy, she was very much into the political uh, milieu of the times. And she made some comments about a, um, a particular party and a particular person who was a leader in that party. And I was kind of taken aback. I mean, she was wanting the judgment of God for eternity on this person. I was like, you know, and just pulled her aside and said, ma'am, that, the, the, this church is going through revitalization. It's something new that God is moving here. We're just not going to do that here. That those, but I'd be happy to pray with you for our leaders, but we're not going to do that here. I think she was taken aback a little bit that I would say something, but it just became popular for us as Christians to take one side or another and to look just like the world. Jesus has not called us to look like the world. We're in it. But we're not supposed to be of it. We need to reflect our king. We need to have confidence that our king is in charge. We need to have confidence that our Lord has got this. So can I ask you as we hit a new political cycle? Okay, can I instruct you by the word of the Lord? (laughs) We're not going to do that here. While we're here, can we talk about Jesus? You guys have done that. I'm so proud of you. Ever since, I I don't think there's been political conversations here. We have become that people, but as we go forward and God continues to add to this body, as this group of Christians continues to grow, we're not going to be those that that in the corner are busy talking about political things. We're going to talk about the grace and the kingdom of our king. When we talk about political things, it will only be to pray for our leaders, pray for those of all parties, pray that God would have their way and our hearts, and our minds. I'm glad I got some amens. Tonight, if you want to join us, six o'clock, we're praying. We're going to pray for the nations, and we're going to pray for all parties and all peoples. You join us right here in the sanctuary, 6 p.m. tonight. That's a little advertisement. Can I give you another uncontroversial statement that might cause some controversy? Christians should share Jesus. They should share the message of Christ. They should share the good news with all people. Christians should share Christ with all people. Everybody needs to hear. Everybody needs to know that God loves them and that they can come to Jesus. It's clear right in this passage. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says this. This is good and pleases God our Savior. This living in a quiet life this and and, and without conflict, he says, this is good. Why? Because it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to be saved. Once again, all means all. Now, Why is this controversial? I mean, God loves all people. Well, okay, let's be honest. Here here we go. This is going to step on some toes. But this is where Christianity Christianity currently has been in kind of a little bit of a fuss and a feud. It has been for hundreds of years, but for some reason, we're especially fussy and feudy about it right now. Right now, Christians kind of have some different theological views about salvation. It's come back to the forefront, and people are talking about it. People who didn't even know that it was an issue have become well-versed, or so they think they are, uh, in this particular issue. And whether or not God has sovereignly elected and chosen all, you know, certain people to be saved and certain people not, or whether people have some kind of free will response um, to to jesus and that it is very much a their choice and then the holy spirit comes there's all kinds of big thick theological treatises on this there's plenty of good internet articles on this and plenty of good not so good articles on this and people debating and people very upset and people very much like "Well, that's a false gospel no you're a false gospel no this little verse says god wants all people to be saved So can I tell you something that's not controversial? Can I tell you something that on both sides that actually the theologians and pastors all agree on? Can you tell you about that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? That whenever we proclaim Jesus, we don't know election, we don't know, we don't have a a sovereignty of God monitor, we don't, we proclaim Jesus to all people. So wherever you fall on reformed or not reformed, Calvinism versus non-Calvinism, wherever you fall, the gospel is clear, the word of God is clear, we proclaim Jesus to all people. That's the uncontroversial part. Why? Because God loves all people. That's the uncontroversial part. But here's what happens. Sometimes either side, we can get off in our camp and we can condemn the others. Sometimes we can even affect the way we share that we end up deciding to draw back and either think that somehow we've got to put some sort of pressure on people to respond as if it's all up to us and we're going to force somebody into the kingdom. That is not what happens. God wants them, but God doesn't force anybody. So if God doesn't force people, we also are not supposed to be pushy and forceful because it doesn't depend on us. It is a conviction of the Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit. And and at the other same time, sometimes people will draw back and be like, well, I don't know if they're really elect. I think I'll just judge them. I don't think they're really worthy, or maybe God wouldn't want them, or maybe God will save them when he gets around to it." but it's not my job to share. I literally was at a camp, and God was being proclaimed. The good news of Jesus was being proclaimed. And students were, and young college students were worshiping, and this young man was sitting in the back, and I was just kinda, he kind of pulled out to the other room, and I was talking to him, and I was saying, hey, so what's going on in your heart and your mind? And he said, well... He said, I really wish that I could be part of that. I said, okay. And what's keeping you? He said, well, I've been taught that God either chooses you or doesn't. And obviously, since I don't feel what they're feeling and immediately am doing what they're doing, I must not have been chosen, so I can't be a part. I said, well, wait, wait, wait. The scripture is clear. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait! For God's so love of the world, whosoever will believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to experience this love and relationship? But he's like, yeah. Well, so wherever you believe the conviction is, the conviction was there. That, that the response was there, and he responded to Jesus that night. But in the in a zeal for certain theological systems, people had had confused this young man, or he had become confused. And it was a false gospel in his heart that he couldn't come because somehow they were chosen and he wasn't. He didn't know that the good news applied to every people because God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. So we as believers proclaim Jesus to all people. We aren't the ones to sit around to think, are you chosen? Are you not? That's not our job. Our job is to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. Because why? Well, here's another uncontroversial controversy. You ready? Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom to all people, and this is how it has been witnessed to at the proper time time wait okay there is one God one mediator between God and man the man Jesus Christ he is the ransom now we can talk a lot about these particular pictures and I think we should mediator and ransom Uh, but first I want to talk about one there is one God There's not a I mean in our world we have a lot of different religions and a lot of different views but if you've ever taken my class on logic man, there is one and one equals one you can't really have all of the systems can't be true Unless you're a coherence theorist. But coherence theorists are wrong on this one. You cannot all of them can be true at the same time. It's either there's a road out there or there's not a road out there. There's either a tree in my backyard or there's not a tree in the backyard. Either God is God or he's not. There is one God and our God sent Jesus to be the Savior. And when Jesus was in the garden, when he was praying to the Father and said, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, um, but not my will but thine, God did not say to his son, well, hey son, here's the deal. There's probably a bunch of different ways to God, but just for fun, just for kicks, I want you to go to the cross. He sent his son to the cross because there was one way. There was one way to provide reconciliation. There was one way to pay for the sins of humanity. There was one way to restore what we had broken. And that one way is Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Jesus is the one who is the go-between, who has satisfied the requirements of God on our behalf. He is the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, as it talks about in Colossians. He is the one way. We needed a mediator. We couldn't earn our salvation. We can't get to God on our own. You've already broken the commandments. You've already been false. There is no one righteous, no one who seeks God, no one who is is good on themselves. For we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and can all be justified. Justified, redeemed, forgiven, restored. What? Through faith in what Christ has done on the cross because he is that mediator and ransom for all people. In the news a lot, we've seen uh, several of these captives... Uh, that are American citizens um, that the Russian government is holding. You, maybe you've seen, we saw the release of, of Brittany Griner. We see that Paul Whelan, is, is still there in prison, um, accused of crimes that he, he's saying he's completely innocent of. Uh, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal uh, journalist who is now in prison there, and we pray for their release and their return. And it's interesting how these governments go back and forth. In fact, they help us understand a little bit of how the works in the book of Colossians. It talks about how Jesus, who is this mediator, and Jesus is the one who rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Just like a Paul Whelan, there there is no way he can extricate himself. There is no way he can pick a lock. There is no way he can sneak out the back door. There's no way he can dig a tunnel. There's no way that he can get himself out of that prison, uh, down a road, across an ocean, back to the united states someone must go and rescue him the idea of a ransom for all people is jesus is that rescuer he is that one who paid a price for our sins not to satan but to satisfy what our sins deserve so that he might come and rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the Son that he loves brothers and sisters the gospel needs to stop being controversial for us We need to come together in unity. Regardless of what we believe about some of the background issues of salvation, we need to proclaim God clearly and boldly. We need to make his love known every chance we get. We need to be ambassadors for this incredible move of God in history that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him, and has given to us, entrusted to us, that ministry of reconciliation and I get it. I know Paul was talking about himself in his ministry, but that's also a model for us because as I imitate Christ, so you're supposed to imitate. And Paul says, I imitate Christ, you imitate me. We also are to be those ambassadors of this good news. We are to be these agents of salvation. We are to be these who bring Jesus and proclaim the good news to all people. There should be an amen on that one too. Finally, maybe the least, the least controversial of all the statements that for some reason we got a bunch of controversy about. Here we go. All Christians should act like Christians all of the time. Hmm. All Christians should act like Christians all of the time. Now, some of you may have come from a church background where you, you know the phrase, if I say God is good, you say And all the time. I might try that again. God is good. And all the time. We need to know that and live that. But sometimes I feel like Christians should act like Christians. And all the time. Christians should act like Christians. Yeah. I, I think that, hey, that ought to be ground into our hearts and minds in the same sort of way. We know God is good, and he is always good. We know in the hard times God is good, but how about this? Are you acting like a Christian when the hard times come? Are you acting like Christians with your brothers when there's a conflict? Are you acting like Christians all the time? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, look, I want men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. This everywhere was definitely an instruction for all of the churches there around Ephesus, but I think it very much so. This is everywhere, everywhere. That he's not just saying, that some men ought to pray?" He's thinking all of us should pray. That all men should be lifting up holy hands and praying to God. And he wants them what to pray. That's very clear. Men everywhere to do what pray, lifting up holy hands. Now, the holy hands is a reference, right? It's something culturally we don't understand. If you ever are around um, some of the people that uh, practice the Islam, Islamic faith, um, you know that before they have prayers, and they do prayers five times a day, you do what's called abolition, and whether you would wash your hands, and you wash your feet, and you wash your ears, and you wash your eyes. It reminds me of the song we used to sing as little kids. Be careful, little hands, what you do. You know, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Anybody know this one? Because the father up? up okay. So it, it reminds of this song about what and so they, they wash their eyes and, and, and wash your hands, and so it reminds us of holy hands like wash. This is not ceremonial washing for us, this is about washing and making sure we're living out the calling that God has. That we are lifting up hands that are, that are coming clean, that are full of confession, saying, God, I didn't want this in my life, that are coming clean, saying, God, fill me with what you have. These are holy hands dedicated to Him, and how does He describe it without anger? Or disputing. Now, brothers and sisters, can I be honest? I have never met anyone who is actually in the middle of prayer and fighting with someone at the same time. Like, Lord, zap him because he's just a bad person. I've never actually seen someone actually praying against, like, in their other's midst. But here's the deal: the anger and disputing, he says, is something that is residual in our hearts that we can't bring to our times of prayer. What does it say in in, in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus says, if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, you leave your gift in front of the altar and first go be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Sometimes we want to just say, well, I'll just, you know, I'm holding this grudge, but I can come and worship God. That's not okay. Here's the deal. I read an article this week that said there are secret commitments that pastors make and we, that they don't know that they made. The first one is if you're going to be a pastor, it means people are going to be mad at you. I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't agree to that. And then it said if you're going to be a pastor, it means people. Are, I think the second was was something like, and they're going to be upset with you. And the third one was something about being angry with you. I mean, I was like, wait, what, how, why in the world are you mad at me? We're the pastors. We're the nice guys. You're supposed to like us. Well. The truth of the matter is people get upset with me. And sometimes I do my thing. Well, hey, let's talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it. They don't want to talk. Well, if you don't want to talk, I live as far as it depends on me. I tried. I wonder if Jesus is okay with that. There was some kind of 70 times seven you're supposed to forgive someone. I wonder if Jesus would say, "Um, try again. Try again. Try again. That's convicting to me. I think he says, try again. Let's not come with, with some kind of bitterness in our soul. Now, brothers and sisters, here's why this also gets controversial. It's going to step on some toes. But here's the deal. When he says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up hands, sometimes people have used this as a justification that only men can have certain roles in the church or something like that, that they get to pray and the women got to sit down. Here's the deal. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says this. I also want the women to dress with modesty and decency. Now... Greek is a fun, great language. Um, it is less um, word order oriented than ours. And so one of the things that happens is you, when you look at Greek, you have to not only look at the um, text and the, 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 the different the, the tenses of the verb and these kinds of things and make sure you, you know uh, what, what is the subject and what is the object of the words. You've you got to figure all of that out. But word order often plays a part in interpretation too. And in this passage, we have a really interesting word order that it begins with men and ends with women. And the also there the it's kind of more of a likewise there that is actually saying that women are supposed to pray in the same way likewise women you also don't pray with bitterness in your heart likewise women you don't al- you also can't have grudges it's like well men you can't have anger and disputing but women yeah you, you guys defied all the time and we just we give up on that no all of us are called to live in harmony and he shifts, though, to this idea of one particular issue that can be a problem. He says, "Women dressed in modesty and decency, propriety." Um, <clears throat> We're going to skip uh, the First Corinthians eleven and go on to. to, to 1 Timothy 2, in verse 9, it says, I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, Now, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or pearls or gold or expensive deeds, but verse 10, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. What's going on there? Well, there was some time in the Roman culture that the way a woman dressed often reflected some character issues. And if you dressed up too much... According to certain Roman uh, kind of philosophers and uh, the pundits of their day, they said it reveals an unfaithful heart and faithfulness to her husband and kind of a, you know, I don't know, some kind of wild living kind of stuff. Well, here's the deal. <clears throat> Maybe men, we don't, we don't ever have trouble with that, do we? I don't know, brothers and sisters. Sometimes the men, we can kind of flaunt some stuff too, right? Sometimes we, Okay. This is one of the reasons I don't wear skinny jeans. (laughs) There's probably some other reasons. I think you have to be skinny. (laughs) That, that, That may be the other reason. But guys, this is really for both of us. Men, women, let's pray. Let's pray with sincere and genuine hearts. Let's none of us look around with, I'm trying to impress the other by what I wear or what I drive or, or how I conduct myself with flashy ornaments or gold or jewelry. This is not how we work, but instead we live with our good deeds. We try to show that God is alive in us through how we care and love other others. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of self, of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted and its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. And verse 24, and to put on a new self, which was created to be like God in true holiness, righteousness, and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are, and there it is, all members of one body. Brothers and sisters, let's be all Christian all the time. Let's share the message of Jesus with all people. And let's pray for all people with hearts that are not full of anger and disputing. And let's hold to the tradition that Paul has passed on to us, that this is how the people of God should conduct themselves in the people of God. Today, we celebrate that. We celebrate that by remembering the one body that Jesus created. He did it when he broke some bread with his disciples, and he said together, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, we're going to take the bread and we're going to remember the sacrifice Jesus made to give, make one body out of many people. Out of many people. If you don't have one of the elements, you can slip up your hand and one of the the, the ushers will bring it to you. But let's take a moment to stop and remember that Jesus' body was broken for us when he died on the cross to pay for our sins. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice, giving your life for us. We say thank you. It's all we can do. And we give our lives to you. We pray in your name. Paul tells us that in the same way after the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. When you're ready, you take the cup. The cup reminds us that the sacrifice had a cost, that the cost of Jesus' life was what was paid for our sins. And we remember that it's a permanent covenant, one that cannot be revoked, because it was made with the precious blood of Jesus. Paul says that every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. We pray and give thanks as we rely in the covenant that you've made with us through him, In his name. Amen. God's going to lead us in one more song. It's a song to think about. All that Christ has done. And all that Christ has called us to. As we sing. Maybe you have a decision to make. Maybe God is calling you to trust in Jesus as your savior. Maybe that's what you want to do right now. And say Jesus I'm in. If that's you this morning. Right where you are. Would you pray and ask Jesus. To forgive you. To be Lord of your life. Maybe. You need to get something right with a brother or a sister. Maybe that's a phone call this afternoon or a text. Maybe, maybe it's something you know that you need to make a commitment to do, to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe this is the church that God has called you to be part of. If you would like to make a public decision or talk more about it, I'll be at the front. Pastor Barry's here as well. Um, you can come. You respond as God is calling you as we sing this song together. You can stand as we sing.